All right, go ahead and flip to Acts 18. Uh, we're going to start out in a second here by just reading a good chunk of the story. I'd love it if you guys would follow along with me. But as you're flipping there, first service, well done. There's, there's like a good chunk of you here. And you're like fairly awake. This is the, the faithful few has become like still a small number, but growing, you know, like impressive. Well done, guys. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, yeah, so we're going to open up the Bible this morning as we do every week. We want you to know uh, we love the Bible and, and we think that it is vital for life with God. And so we want to invite you to investigate with it with us every week, but also to do that on your own. So if it's been a while since you kind of last read the word on your own, we want to invite you back into that. And if you're newer to that, don't be intimidated. If it's hard, I mean, almost all good things are. And so just keep pushing, all right? Keep going. Start in John and just read, all right? Um, but yeah, let's read, let's read Acts 18, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man, a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, months teaching the word of God among them. So we're going to look today at Paul getting to Corinth. So he's hitting the, the major um, metropolitan areas of the world at that time. He leaves Athens, he gets into Corinth, and he starts preaching the gospel, and there's two radically different responses to his gospel message. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, but as we, as we get going, I was thinking about this. Uh, do you guys ever have those moments where you just realize how incredible normal things are in life? I don't know if this is just a me thing, but about once a month, I'm talking on a cell phone, and then my mind just gets blown. Because it's like, what is this? Like, I'm talking into this box and someone across the world can hear me. And it's like not a recording. Like, it's somehow, this is happening live. Like, this is crazy. I, I discovered mushrooms a couple years ago. So I had avoided mushrooms my whole life because they're creepy, right? Like, you guys, they're, they're fungus. This is weird, right? But here's the deal. If you cook up some mushrooms and some butter and some salt, it's a vegetable that tastes like meat. Like, this is amazing. So I don't know if you have these moments where, like, this is my regular life where I see something normal and I, my mind is just blown. Okay, here's part of what it means to be a Christian is to see something that's become normal to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to just have your mind blown. 
because you just see it in kind of this, this new way. It's like a diamond that as you turn it, it just sparkles in different ways. And part of being a Christian is intentionally looking at the gospel, something that's become normal to you but isn't normal, and being amazed by it. And so this is what I want to do this morning, is I just want to point out different components of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to look at it. And hopefully in our hearts, they'll seem amazing. And so I'm actually going to skip around a little bit. I'm not necessarily going to follow the story directly. That's why I wanted to read it to you so you would hear the story itself. But I just want to kind of skip around a little bit and point out uh, aspects of the gospel that are amazing. All right, so here's the first one. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. Look back at verse 7. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Guys, the gospel took root in Corinth. That's, like, that's crazy. You know what Corinth was known for? Sexual immorality. Like, if you read First and Second Corinthians, Paul has to command the church to not date their in-laws. Like, there was some weird stuff going on in Corinth. And that's what their city was known for. People would travel from all over the place to come to Corinth to be a part of that immorality. Think Las Vegas when you think Corinth. They were known for their immorality. They were known for their pride. But here's what the gospel is. It's, it's the exact opposite message. It's a message of humility, and it's a message of self-denial. So Paul walks in, like, okay, picture this, like, essentially in modern-day terms, Paul walks in to Las Vegas, and he walks into the casino, and he goes, hey, everyone, stop gambling, stop wasting your money, and give away everything you have to the poor. And then, he, and then he walks up to men who are suing, pursuing prostitutes and says, hey, stop living like this. Your body is the temple of God. Use it to honor him and abstain from sexual immorality for the rest of your life. And this is how those people respond. They go, okay. It's not what you would expect, right? Why, like how can... One conversation immediately changed the eternity of people who are that far from God. Here's why. Because the gospel is the resurrection power of God unleashed. When you get hit by the gospel, when you understand it, when you see it for how beautiful and amazing it is, there's, there's no stopping repentance. Because that gospel truth overwhelms you. And here's what happens when the gospel comes to a city. Dead people come to life before they even know what hit them. Romans 1 says it like this. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. It's the power of God unleashed. But I think sometimes we doubt its power because it feels like people are sort of too far gone. That people are too sort of entrenched in sin. They have such a radically different view of the world than us. And so it's hard for us to believe that maybe our friends, our family members, our, our co-workers would actually ever come to know Jesus. That, that they actually could change and be different. But I want to I push on that notion a little bit. So one of my weird life dreams 
is that I've always wanted to be in a dunk tank. You know what a dunk tank is? Like you've seen them in like carnivals, like town celebrations and stuff like that, where you sit on this like flimsy little seat and it's over this like big tub of water. And then if someone hits this target with like a softball, it drops you in. I think you're supposed to want to put other people into the water, but I want to be in it. It seems awesome. Okay, so this is what I want you to do is I want you to picture, just bear with me. I want you to picture people in your life like they're sitting in a dunk tank. Okay, now in this analogy, the water that's right underneath their feet is the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God that's pursuing them. It's right there. And the only thing that's keeping them from from being immersed into the goodness of God is this, this little flimsy seat called sin and rejection of God. And it seems like a big deal in the moment, but only one thing's got to happen. That little target in their soul has got to get hit, and that seat's going to fall. And in a moment, they're going to go from dry to wet, from dead to alive in Christ, from being separated from God's mercy and his goodness to being immersed in new life in Jesus Christ. Just that one little thing has got to happen, and that's what salvation is. It's not a process. Yes, like you do, you do learn and you grow, and then after you come to Christ, you learn and you grow more, and there's, there's elements of a process, but salvation itself, otherwise known as justification, is a moment in time when you're sitting on that seat and then it gets removed from you and all of a sudden you're sunk into the goodness of God. It just happens in a moment, and that moment can happen for anyone There's nobody in your life that isn't hanging over the goodness of God, waiting to be saved. It's just a matter of if that little target is going to hit. And so this is what sharing the gospel is, is you get to stand at that dunk tank and just throw some softballs at that target. You just throw little gospel truths, you just throw little truths about God, truths about the world, until something lands in their soul, and out of nowhere, before they even know what hit them, they have new life in Christ. That's what sharing the gospel is. But here's what's kind of maddening about that, is we don't actually have control over whether we hit the target or not, that's up to Jesus, and so we just keep throwing, and we trust him to do something. But not having that control is frustrating. So I remember my, my first year doing ministry. I got to second semester, so I had been doing ministry for a while. And I hadn't gotten to see anyone in my life come to know Jesus. And it was bothering me because I was like, this is what ministry is about. Like, it's about sharing the gospel. It's about seeing people come to faith. And it was bothering me that I hadn't gotten to see that. And I started to doubt. I started to doubt God a little bit, like whether he was actually working in the world, but mostly I doubted me, like, am I being faithful? Am I I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, maybe I'm not cut out for this ministry thing, and it just kind of escalated on me until I got to the point where I was like, yeah, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should quit. And I remember driving to campus, and I I started thinking about this. I was so frustrated. I just started crying. I, like, fell apart. And I almost just bailed on the student that I was going to meet with. But out of just like sheer pride of not wanting to let him down, I went. And my plan was just to kind of like watch the clock, get out of there in an hour. And here's what happened is I sat down across the table and this student said to me, hey, the reason I talked to you at Salt Company is because I was actually drunk coming in. And I started to sober up in the middle of Salt Company and I just started asking, what is my life? And he's like, I I grew up hearing about Jesus, but I've completely fallen away from God. And I was just wondering if you could help me come back. And I got to share the gospel with him. And he says, yeah, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. So I went home. The next morning, I met with another student. 
sat across the table from, from James. I was like, James, you know, tell me, I, I just wanted to get to know you. Tell me your story. Like, do you know much about Christianity? He's like, yeah, I don't really know anything about it, but it seems interesting. Could you tell me what it's about? <laughs> I went, yeah, I think I can handle that, James. And I shared the gospel with him and he came to Christ. And both of them became student leaders and are following Jesus. And it's like, God was just, he was just waiting for me. He was just like, man, are you going to trust me? Are you going to keep believing? Are you going to bail? And at my like, moment of weakness where I wanted to bail, he was like, here you go. And I got to see my friends go from separated from the mercy of God to immersed in it. Do you believe? Do you believe personally in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you, are you just around Christianity kind of showing up and hoping that's enough? Or do you, have you had a moment where you went, Jesus is my only hope. I've got nothing without him. He's the only thing that I can stand on. And has your life been changed by it? And if you're in Christ, if you have believed, do you believe that he can keep doing that for people in your life? Or have you given up? Keep throwing the softballs and wait. Wait for Jesus to drop somebody into the tank. Do you believe that your friends and family can change? And do you keep sharing with them? Do you, do you believe that this city can change? We were, we were driving around the other day, and just me, kind of jokingly, we saw this massive warehouse. I swear it was like three city blocks or something like that. And just me was like, have you guys checked that place out for Salt City? And I kind of laughed. Like, and then I thought about it and went, why not? Like, why wouldn't Jesus do something like that? No, there's tons of disclaimers, whatever. I'm not saying we're necessarily want to be like a huge church. We can be multi-church, whatever. I'm not saying, I'm just saying like, why is that funny to me that Jesus would do something amazing in the city? Isn't that what he does? Maybe the hardest of all, do you believe that he can change you by the power of the gospel? My greatest doubts are not if God exists. They're the doubts on whether I'm actually changing on whether I can actually live as an authentic Christian and why I'm not changing more? Do you get bogged down by the sin in your life? Have you gone back to the same thing over and over and over again? And is it hard for you to believe that you actually can be different? That you don't actually have to live like that anymore, but you can look more like Jesus? One of the quotes that has kind of kept me going through a lot of times in my life is a quote by John Newton that I love. He said this, I'm not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, but I can truly say I am not what I once was. You might not be everything that you hoped you would be in life, but if you are in Christ, I can guarantee you that you're not what you once were. Because even if you're discouraged, even if you feel like you're not changing, Jesus universally changes people by the power of the gospel. No one is left out who knows him. And notice real quick, I got to move on, but notice real quick that the response of the Corinthian believers who got the gospel was they believed and what? They were baptized. Decent timing, am I right? (laughs) Throughout the book of Acts, whenever someone believes, the symbol of that belief is baptism. So if you are in Christ, You're missing out. I love the way Drew phrased that. You're missing out if you haven't been baptized. You're missing out on the symbol of that belief. Jump in. We'd love to have you, okay? Okay, the, the gospel is powerful. But second, the gospel is a little unpredictable. It's for 
unexpected people. Okay, look, at, look back at verse 5. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood will be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So here's what's happening. Is the very people who should have responded to the gospel, who would have been most likely to respond to the gospel, the Jews, who already were religious people, who already knew about God's word, instead of accepting it, they rejected it. Instead of believing Paul and starting to follow this truth about Jesus, they throw Paul, or they attempt to throw Paul in prison for it. And, and something is really, really interesting is happening here in what Paul says. Look back at it, verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood will be on your own hands. Okay, what's that little phrase, he shook out his garments? Okay, so here's the origin of the phrase, is when Jews would travel around and they would come back to their city before entering back into the city, they would shake the dust off of their garments and they would shake the dust off of their sandals because they didn't want to bring impurity into their city. So they saw themselves as the clean ones, and then they saw the Gentiles outside of themselves as the unclean ones. So they would shake off all of the uncleanliness before coming into the city. But notice that Paul is doing the exact opposite thing. Who is he shaking the garments out in front of? The Jews, not the Gentiles. And who is he going to? The Gentiles. In other words, there's a new definition of what clean and unclean means. The clean people are no longer sort of the religious people with the moral background and the religious pedigree and the religious family. The clean people are the people who respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the unclean people are the ones who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the most religious people responded in defensiveness and anger to the gospel. And the least religious people responded in humility because it had cut them to the heart. So if you're here and you're not really a church person, this is new for you. Or if you feel as screwed up as the Corinthians were, this is good news for you. The gospel does not exclude you because of your lack of sort of religious pedigree or because of the sin in your life. If you are cut to the heart by the message of Jesus Christ and you see that he was right and you were wrong and you want a part of life in him, you can have it. But for some of us, this actually might be a warning. Do you tend to get defensive when you hear truths about the gospel. In particular, how you can add nothing to the work of Jesus Christ. How, how your good works don't produce any standing before him. How, how your, your discipline and your morality and the, the clean life that you live doesn't actually help you become more clean in his sight. Do you tend to get defensive and want to defend your sort of righteous life? You should be careful because you've maybe missed what it means to be clean. The clean and unclean in the kingdom of God are not those who you would expect. They're simply those who have responded to the gospel. 
And so here's what Paul does with that is he makes this this big shift and he decides if the Jews are not going to listen to me, then I'm going to go talk to the Gentiles. And in that shift, God wants to give him some courage that he's doing the right thing. And so that's what's going on in verses 9 and 10 is God is going to give Paul a vision to give him boldness to keep going in the face of opposition. So that's our next point. The gospel produces boldness. The gospel produces boldness. So we we have this image of Paul, the Apostle Paul in our minds, right, is this sort of crazy, bold, like really powerful dude, which, I mean, he was. I mean, he... He got bitten by snakes, he got thrown in prison, he got pulled out of the city and stoned and left for dead, and then he just gets up and walks back into the city and keeps sharing the gospel. Like, like this guy did some crazy stuff, but we tend to imagine that the reason why he did crazy things is because he had zero fear, and that was just sort of his personality, but I think it's more complex than that. I think there's a deeper truth than that. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Okay, so I'm going to stop there for a second. I'll keep going on this really cool vision. But I want you to catch that Paul was apparently so afraid that he needed a special vision from God just to keep going. Like, it, it wasn't true that Paul wasn't scared of anything. He, he talks about in 1 Corinthians that he came to them with weakness and fear and trembling. He's literally so afraid of sharing the gospel to the Corinthians that he's shaking but Paul was able to overcome his fear and move towards boldness because of the promises of God. Because what he believed about God was the antidote to his fear. And so th- let's keep going on the promise. This is what God promises him in this vision. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So first, God promises his presence. He says, do not be afraid because I am with you. So growing up, I was super into golf. And my first ever tournament at age seven was the State Peewee Golf Tournament. Yes, it was literally named the State Peewee Golf Tournament. And I took it way too seriously, as I do a lot of things in my life. And so I was very nervous, and I wish somebody would have just told me to chill, but I was so nervous, and one of their rules was that your parents can't go with you out on the golf course uh, to avoid probably parents giving advice or kind of the crazy parents that are also too intense, and so the parents couldn't go with, and so I remember teeing off and feeling confident. My, my mom and my dad were there, and then I get out onto the course, and they're not there anymore, and I like freaked out. I was so nervous. I'm shanking shots everywhere, and I'm, I'm going to putt, and my hands are shaking. And then I get to the second hole, and I looked up behind the green, and I'm about to hit my shot, and then I see something in the bushes. I'm like, what is that? And I look out, and my dad is literally hiding in the bushes, <laughs> snuck onto the course, and is genuinely in a bush, and sticks his head out and kind of goes, you know, and then hides back down in the bush. And after that, I played amazing golf. <laughs> Held the record for seven-year-olds at the State Pee Wee Golf Tournament for a while. No big deal. It actually isn't a big deal. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but here's the deal. What changed? Did my circumstances change? No, I was still in this tournament. I was still nervous about it. 
Like, did I magically become a better golfer? No, but my dad was there. And his presence overwhelmed my fear. And instead of focusing on me and my insecurities and my insignificance and all this stuff, I started focusing on him, that I loved that he was there with me, that he was proud of me regardless, and that I was fine because dad was there. That's what it's like to know God. So often when stuff is going wrong in our lives, the things that we're asking Jesus for is to kind of remove the negative circumstances from our lives. But really what we need most is not necessarily for those circumstances to be removed, but we need the presence of God. We need to know that our Father can melt our fears. So are you actively doing that in your life? God is always there, but are you aware of his presence? When you tend to become afraid, do you get self-consumed and focus on that fear or that anxiety or that stress or whatever it is? Or do you look up at him and let his presence melt the fear in your life? Okay, so the fact that God is with us and that he promises to protect us is great. That's nice theology, right? But that theology doesn't really matter unless it produces trust In God. So even though those things are true, I think a lot of the way we tend to live is still in fear, in anxiety, in stress, in trying to control our own lives, right? Which is evidence that we don't really believe the things that we say we believe. Okay, so so what you believe is not really what you say you believe. It's not really what you think you believe. What you believe is how you live, What you feel, what you experience in your life, and how you act is actually what you believe. Have you guys ever been a part of a a group that does trust falls? My guess is most of you have because like every job training and every camp you've ever been to has done these for some reason because apparently it, I don't know, makes the group better. I don't understand that. But uh, so at, at spring break last year, we did trust falls and they actually had a platform that you fell off of. And I'm a little scarred from trust falls because there's one rule in trust falls, which is don't flail your arms when you're falling. But Hannah Thompson over here is a, is a person who lives in the moment. And Hannah got caught up in the moment and went, as she was falling and punched me right in the face, blood everywhere. I didn't have the heart to tell her. I told her about a year later, but anyway, so trust falls. So, okay. I want you to, to imagine this. Imagine a a person that goes up and stands on the platform and you've got a group of people standing underneath them and they get up on the platform and they go, oh yeah, you guys could totally catch me. I totally believe you could catch me. It's like, okay, yeah, so go ahead and go ahead and fall. No, 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 no. I mean, the wind is blowing and like, but you totally could catch me. I believe it. So go ahead and just, yeah, fall off the platform. No, I think, I think I'll just come down. Do they actually trust you? No. Right, Because the evidence of their trust is not in what they say, it's in what they do. And them falling is a demonstration that they believe that you're strong enough to catch them. And so this is what following Jesus is, is he puts you up on this little platform. And he, and he puts a non-believer in your life, or he puts a difficult situation in your life. He puts trials and challenges. He puts steps of faith in your life. And he says, hey, do you trust me? And you standing there saying, oh yeah, of course I trust you, God, isn't actually evidence that you trust. The evidence that you trust God is when you stop living in fear 
and you step out in boldness and you do something believing that God will come through for you. You speak and you share the gospel to your friend. You make that hard decision in your life for the kingdom of Jesus. You let go of some of your money towards his kingdom and believe that God's going to take care of you, that he's in control. You live out what you believe. So let me, let me keep going here. Last one. The gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. Verse five. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So what you see in the book of Acts is all of these different contexts, all of these different sermons, but one thing is the same, is that whenever Paul preaches, he preaches a very simple, straightforward message, and it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the foundation of our lives, that's the foundation of our church, and we never move on from that message. And I want to I encourage you to not let good things overtake the thing in your life. So there's really good things that you guys want to pursue, that you should want to pursue. There, there's things going on in our culture that we should push back and that we should disagree with, but there's also things going on in our culture that we should affirm as Christians, beautiful things. We should affirm equality for, for all classes and for all races. We should affirm the, the empowerment of women and pushing back on chauvinism and abuse. We should, we should affirm advocating for Christian morality and, and a Christian perspective of the world. Those are all beautiful, good things, but they are planets and the gospel, Christ, death and resurrection is the sun. All of those good things are held in orbit by the gravity of the gospel. The message of Christ crucified and resurrected is the gospel. The others are ways to demonstrate that truth to the world. And so in your pursuit of good things, be careful that you do not replace the gospel as central in your life because the minute that you lose the gospel as the focal point of your life, the, the, just the message about what Jesus did, the minute that's no longer the focal point of your life or of the life of this church is the minute that you lose all of the other good things too. You keep that central and everything else comes with it. So, so let me just close with reminding you of that beautiful truth that we all believe, right? So, so this story ends, I didn't read it, but the story ends with, with Paul uh, being judged, put on trial, right? And as you read that story, and, and Paul is actually uh, declared innocent and, and everything ends up being fine, but as you read that story, it reminds you of the trial of Jesus Christ, who if Paul was innocent of the charges, Jesus was really innocent of the charges, but Jesus was condemned. Why? Not because he deserved it, but because when he was accused, he didn't speak back. Why? Well, because you deserve to be put on trial for your life. You deserved a sentencing trial of death because of the way that you've lived in sin and separation from God. And Jesus didn't want you to have to stand there for your own sin. And so he came out of the audience. He said, hey, you can go sit down. And he stood on trial in your place. And even though he was innocent, he let the condemnation come. 
And he, and he, he went up to the ultimate sentencing trial in the crucifixion and he died in your place so that you wouldn't have to. And then he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he then turned around as the authority in the universe and put Satan's sin and death on trial and he condemned them. And he said, you can't touch my people anymore. They're not yours, they're mine. And he provided a future and a hope for you so that one day if you are in Christ, you will rise just like he rose. You'll rise to new eternal life with him where you'll live in a perfected body as the human being that you were made to be with Jesus forever. And you have hope that's unshakable and that can't be taken from you. That's the message. That's what we never move on for from. That's the message that's beautiful and that should transform everything in our lives. Let me pray. Jesus, we love that message and we never want to move on. Thanks that the gospel is powerful, that it can change even broken sinners like us. Thanks that you've given us everything we need to be bold and to have faith and to speak about this good message to a city that that desperately needs it and so just give us the the boldness to speak about what you've done in our lives and to get to see other people come into this family we want this city to be changed because of what you're doing here Jesus and we believe that you can do it and so in faith in the power that you give us we just want to keep going we want to keep honoring you and when we don't we want to come back in repentance to you and believe that you've secured for us everything that we need and so we're excited to to sing worship songs to you because you're worth it Jesus we love you amen